everyone was telling me, why are you doing file sharing? It's already been done. And then six years later, we were acquired by Citrix for almost $100 million. That's Jesse Lipson, the founder of ShareFile. He bootstrapped that company so that $100 million made a big impact. If you're working on a problem that seems to be already done and VCs are telling you one thing, but the market's telling you that there's a pain, always prioritize the market. Listen to what he did. How are you going to beat Microsoft and Google when they do it? I didn't really have great answers to those questions, but what I did see is that if I went to a cocktail party or something and said, we've got a solution that helps you transfer files that are too big for email. A lot of people said, oh yeah, I've got that problem. Kind of from the bottom up, I saw this demand. So I was like, hey, I never thought ShareFile was going to be as big as it was, but I was like, I think I can get customers. Even if Google ends up building a really successful solution, I still think I can build a business out of this. We go under the hood on his go-to-market strategy, product decisions, and how he was able to A-B test along the way, then ultimately his decision to sell to Citrix for uh, nearly $100 million. Incredible episode. Thank you, Howard Lerman, founder of Yext, who's been on the podcast before for the intro. Boom. Hey, welcome to Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, former founder and VC. I now work at Zendesk for Startups, where we offer six months free use of Zendesk for qualified high growth companies. Well, Jesse, it is a pleasure to have you on Sit Down Startup Zendesk Founder Podcast and hearing your story. You've um, you've been an entrepreneur for a long time and had incredible successes, including share, uh, selling ShareFile to Citrix, which I'm sure most people have heard about. Um, but if you could dive in and just first tell us like what you're working on right now, and and also share like the the exit that you had with ShareFile. Yeah, absolutely. So today I am the CEO and founder of a software product called Levitate, which what Levitate does is it helps relationship-based businesses like wealth management firms, law firms, accounting firms, insurance agencies do a better job keeping in touch with their clients and their referral sources in a much more personal, authentic way than like an email marketing, MailChimp kind of mass blast solution. So we saw a gap in the market where there's tons of sales and marketing solutions that are out there, but nothing that we felt did a good job for those relationship-based businesses that really rely on keeping in touch in an authentic, personal way and um, staying top of mind versus a traditional direct response, more pipeline-driven sales approach. So that's what I'm doing today, but ShareFile was my previous company, and so I founded that back in 2000. It was actually the end of 2005. And, um, you know, I can give you a little bit of the, the story there if you want, kind of the quick five minute thumbnail of, of ShareFile, how it came to be. I would love it. Yeah. So my background is actually philosophy. I was a philosophy major at Duke. And so I didn't think I would be a tech entrepreneur. I thought I was going to be a philosophy professor, but I ended up, I graduated college in 2000, kind of right around the time the dot-com bubble was bursting took a job with a startup as the first employee at a three person company and just kind of got into programming as a hobby and just started doing Google searches, learned how to build websites, did some freelance work. Eventually a little bit less than a year later, I decided to start my own website design and development firm. So we were just a services firm that would build websites and software. Did that for a couple of years, got better at software development and eventually decided I want to build a product. And so I ended up kind of spinning out of the website company and building ShareFile. I had a few different product ideas at the time. One was a, a couple patents that I had and uh, public key cryptography. 
uh, I had a content management system, share file, and um, another enterprise digital asset management solution that I built. So I was building all kinds of stuff because I was just having fun with it. And actually, of all the ideas I had, I talked to my friends, my trusted advisors. Almost no one advised me to pursue ShareFile because I was kind of like, I've got these three or four things. I've got to choose one. Otherwise, I can't really make any progress. No one really wanted me to do ShareFile because they were like, business file sharing, isn't that an idea out of the year 2000? It's been done before. How are you going to beat Microsoft and Google when they do it? And I didn't really have great answers to those questions. But what I did see is that if I went to a cocktail party or something and said, you have to kind of put yourself back in technology of 2005. But I would say, hey, you know, we've got a solution that helps you transfer files that are too big for email. A lot of people said, oh, yeah, I've got that problem. Like, in my business and FTP is just too technical. It's too hard for my clients or I have to like courier a DVD to them or something like that. And so kind of from the bottom up, I saw that um, this demand. So I was like, Hey, I never thought ShareFile was going to be as big as it was, but I was like, I think I can get customers, you know? And even if I, even if Google ends up building a, a really successful solution, which I guess they have, um, I still think I can build a business out of this. So that was kind of where ShareFile started. And I decided I would take two years without a salary, just coded ShareFile up in a few months on my laptop and spent $100 on Google AdWords. And that was the beginning. And uh, and six years later, we were acquired by Citrix for almost $100 million. Man, that is really cool. I'm excited to kind of pull that apart with that. I know you're in the middle of your current startup right now with Levitate and we should do another podcast in a couple of years as well on that incredible exit. Like what a story, just like actually bootstrapping in the beginning. And so I'm really excited to hear that. Can you tell one of the new questions that I've added here is that like, what was one of the lowest moments in that journey from deciding to pursue ShareFile to the $100 million exit from Citrix? Yeah, it's a great question. And we um, ended up being bootstrapped. We never did raise any money. Um, so we just kind of kept doubling down. And um, I took the $100 and the next month, whatever revenue I got from clients, I kept increasing the spend. And in a few years, I was spending a few hundred thousand dollars a month on my credit card for Google ads. And um, But in terms of the low point, I think that the probably the most stressful time for the business and the lowest point was probably the year that we were acquired by Citrix um, going through the roller coaster of the acquisition. Um, Part of it also around that time, we had, we always had competitors. Like there was one called you send it. A lot of people don't remember that one, but it was big at the time box um, Dropbox, And they started to um, raise hundreds of millions of dollars. So back in end of 2005, everyone was telling me, why are you doing file sharing? It's like the dumbest space to get into. It's already been done. And then a few years later, it became actually one of the hottest areas in venture. Dropbox was one of the hottest startups at at that time in kind of that 2009, 2010 uh, point. And we started to, we relied a lot on online advertising, Google AdWords. And there was a point where Dropbox, because they had raised so much money, they were just throwing 
some money at the wall and 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 box as well and and it was we knew that what they were doing was not economically viable in the search market but they were impacting us because if they're making irrational bids ahead of us it was impacting our our ability to to do business and like there's a saying that i like which is the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent as a business and that's that was what i worried about is hey some of the spend is irrational but they can afford to be irrational and if they can seriously impact our business and that was when i kind of realized we needed to do something we needed to raise funding or get acquired or do something because we had some players that had the ability to be irrational and unfortunately I think after a few months of some of that spend, somebody over there noticed that it wasn't paying off for them. And then they just as quickly, they shut it off. But those were some some existential moments that I had. Uh, and then, you know, the other scary piece was just as we were going through with Citrix, um, we had potentially a life changing acquisition that was uh, interest from them. And there were a lot of ups and downs in that roller coaster in times that we felt from from when they first contacted us to when the deal closed was probably about seven eight nine months and there were definitely parts of that where we thought the deal was dead and uh, a lot of stress and and trying to get a deal closed and make it happen so ironically the end of 2011 was one of the highest points of my life and my business career and a lot of the rest of 2011 was one of the lowest most stressful points in my business career that is interesting. And that seven to eight month waiting period, I, I can only imagine like every time you saw an email from someone on their acquisition team, it was like, what, what is this? Are we here? Are we there? What are we waiting on? And, and I'm sure it's a massive distraction. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we tried to stay focused, but we did have a two month period at least where they went completely cold and, mm. you know, couldn't even get them to respond to us. Um, and we learned a little bit later what was actually happening, which I won't I won't go into to protect yeah. protect the guilty, you know, or the you know, I don't wanna to talk about gossip on a, a big forum, but yeah, we had we had times like that and um and then times during the actual process of diligence where you know we were really worried about whether this was actually gonna happen. Wow. Well, um, what an amazing story. Thanks for sharing that part, the ups and downs, because it, it just from the outside, you see the TechCrunch article and you're like, wow, this is awesome. Like, sure, it just worked really well. Yeah. Um, but going under the hood, there's a lot more going on. What um, Right after you started ShareFile, let's say the first 12 months, what was one of the most impactful growth strategies or tactics that you saw happen? And you're doing this as a bootstrap founder. So I love the fundamentals of that. Yeah. Uh, we were just fortunate i think at that time google adwords was such a growth hack where i i used to say back then i probably could have started any software company um in that 2006 2007 time frame and made it successful on google adwords because not that many people were using adwords um the software market was not extremely crowded the and um Google AdWords was really cheap. Like early on with our initial spend, we could be rec recovering the cost of a customer in like a month or two. And so it enabled, I don't think, I, I wouldn't have been able to bootstrap ShareFile in today's world of SaaS because a lot of the free lunches, at least in the B2B 
software market. I think a lot of the free lunches have been arbitraged out and you need to do the hard work of um, kind of building a go-to market machine. Uh, there's been a couple points, I think, in software where there's been these temporary um, opportunities and Google AdWords, I think, really was at that time. And then, you know, there was a time like with mobile apps where you could get listed and just by optimizing your listing in Apple, some people could get multiple millions of dollars on in revenue from a mobile app. And, and then I think there was a time on the specifically like the B2C side where Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising, there were some really great techniques that are not quite working as well as they used to, but they had kind of a golden age. And I don't know what the new one is right now, but I think a lot of the newer ones in the past several years have been better for consumer um, or, mm -hmm. or retail type startups like Facebook and Instagram. But the the old software as a service, you know, company, uh, you kind of have to, I feel like you kind of have to do the hard work now. It's not as easy to just acquire customers for, you know, one month CAC or anything like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. So that you you were running with that. Um, it was that your main channel to growth? I mean, it was. It was our only channel for multiple wow. years. Yeah, we uh, eventually a few years into the company started doing some inside sales, and then that ultimately became the most scalable channel post acquisition to Citrix and kind of on our journey to a couple hundred million dollars in revenue. Um, because the thing about online advertising is typically you have diminishing returns where not only does the CAC go up uh, because you're capturing people that have less motivation, but then also in order to bid high enough on, on search, you have to bid more for that lower quality. And so you end up hitting this point where you're, as you scale, eventually the CAC just keeps going up and up and it doesn't work. And so three or four years in, we started an inside sales group and eventually that became the majority of our business. But in a bootstrap world, it would have been hard for us to do that because we wouldn't have been able to, we couldn't have a CAC of one month or two months to get us started. And so eventually we did layer it in. And uh, But for the first few years, we just existed on optimizing Google search. Wow. I love the focus. And you just, you saw the arbitrage opportunity and just, just killed it and stay mm -hmm. right there. You didn't try a bunch of other things. You just stayed right there um, exactly. and knew it was working. I, that's, that's really neat. Is there anything you can tell us about your expansion strategy? Like, did you have a land and expand approach as you started to grow? Yeah. Um, not really pre-acquisition by Citrix. We had, I think we had, we left a big opportunity on the table. We were so focused on our transactional model and we had a pretty self-service sign up for a trial online put it back then put in your credit card um was the was the standard kind of thing and you get like a 30-day trial and we noticed over time like we had at the time citrix acquired us we had 99 percent of the fortune 500 had a paid account with us we made no effort to actually <laughs> reach into that for all those and try to grow them because it just wasn't part of our DNA. Um, and so it was probably a big missed opportunity where if we had stayed independent for long enough, we probably would have started to, to do that kind of thing. But we really focused on small businesses. And in fact, I only got on a plane once 
in the history of ShareFile to visit a customer. And we only had one customer that was big enough that was paying us like $2,000 a month, which I think was Intel. And, uh, but yeah, we'd be like, oh yeah, we have Microsoft. They're using it for something, even though they have computing product, they're like using ShareFile. We've got all these other ones. And I think the only one that we didn't have in the Fortune 500 was one. It was like a Berkshire Hathaway company or something like that that had like 10 employees and uh, we never were able to get them. But yeah, so unfortunately for us, I guess we never really did. Uh, and, and I think that back in this era of like 2005, 2010, uh, expansion was not as well known of a technique. Whereas now for modern SaaS, it's almost like everybody's measured net retention, net retention, net retention, expansion. That's, that's a huge part of it, part of it. But back then, SaaS was just not as sophisticated. And I think like companies weren't, weren't really thinking about things in the same way. Absolutely, man. Well, as we're getting closer to the time, um, what is your superpower as a founder? Yeah. Um, I think that there's probably two, I would say. One is because of my startup roots and I think my background in philosophy plus being a self-taught um, programmer who's been an engineer, I am pretty good at having some solid intuition and expertise at all the areas of the company because in the early days of ShareFile, I was the programmer, I was the customer support, the marketing person, the salesperson, you know, the strategy person, the product manager. And so I'm very comfortable in all those areas. And uh, even today in our company, we have 4,000 customers and um, we don't have any product managers in, in the company. Uh, I kind of fill that role and I feel really comfortable talking to our engineers and understanding. I, I, I helped code the original version of Levitate as well. Mm-hmm. And then being able to pivot over into marketing, brand, sales. And so I think being able to really understand all the aspects of the business, oftentimes founders are either a tech founder and they understand the engineering, but they don't really want to have anything to do with you know, other parts of the business or they're a, a sales focused business founder. And I think I can do both pretty well. Um, and then I think the other big one is being data driven. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people are data driven, but we have kind of an obsession, I would say with testing and measuring everything. And some of that came from my background pre share file even, but in share file, uh, I was constantly A-B testing everything. And um, that was just the way I ran the business and it's kind of my natural inclination. And so I think we're we're highly data-driven and um, it's great for our culture because it keeps politics out of the organization. And you'll just naturally hear people, anytime they suggest an idea, they'll immediately pivot to, how are we gonna test that? And so I think that's that's a superpower I have. Oh, I love that because it just silences. There's no like, well, Jesse thinks this, Adam thinks that. It's like, it doesn't matter your opinions. Like what does the data say and how are we going to, how exactly. are we going to be confident in that? So you obviously do that with more than just your go to market. Cause I think that's one thing I've struggled with is like knowing what, like, is this worth even the test? Cause the cost of testing something is high. Yeah. Whereas like, I feel pretty convicted and like trying to be fair on that. Also, like, have we gotten enough data? Cause you're never going to have the perfect mm. data for a test. I'm curious how you think the, of those two things. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like one example outside of sales is like, um, we 
we're wondering about sending our clients a gift on their anniversary, like a little swag pack of coffee or something for, and so rather than doing that, the way we do things is we send it to half the people, you know, and then we <laughs> measure whether there's a retention difference. And so, yeah, there, there definitely is a, um, an overhead to testing and sometimes it's, you can't get statistical significance, but, um, but I think the benefit outweighs that cost and, and because you can end up doing a lot of things where you're spending money in the organization that are not helping, that are also adding work and complexity to people's roles. And, um, and so it's like, Hey, rather than having this program, that sounds cool. Um, then, uh, now it just becomes an ongoing cost and somebody's got to, you know, get the spreadsheet ready for the third party processor to do stuff. And Hey, like if, if it's not giving us a lift, then like, let's simplify. So we, we kind of push through that and just, there are, there are cases where it's not feasible, but, um, in almost all cases at any time, anyone suggests an idea, um, they're usually like talking about, even if it's a, a relatively small idea, all right, how are we going to get a clean test? And like, you know, that's it. That's awesome. And just quick, did you see a higher retention with people who you did send gifts to versus not? We actually did originally, and then we put it in place as a program. And then um, we made a mistake one month with our vendor and accidentally only sent half um, and real, and then realized there was the lift had gone away. And then uh, now we've been testing a lower cost gift and, and, you know, we've been continuing to test, test that. So it's an ongoing question. I think it, it depends a, a lot on the time and the gift and the whatever bunch of other variables, but um, we're always, we're always coming up with, with super fun and creative tests. And to me, that's, that really energizes me. Um, testing is just so fun because to me, it's a window. It's not only a good business, but it's a window into the psychology of human beings of like, wow, that worked. That didn't work. That's like super, just fascinating to me. Uh, that's the professor in you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, Jesse, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, Adam. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you want to learn more about Zendesk for Startups and our free offer, please check out our website at zendesk.com startups.